Is this one working? Yeah, good. Well, welcome this morning, last Sunday of the year. We've been looking at the Gospel of John the last few weeks, I guess over the Christmas season. And uh, we're just going to finish today, not the Gospel, don't worry, I won't be going through the whole book. Um, and, um, uh, and then we'll be doing something else. We may come back to John at some stage. Um, for those people that like gifts, we do have a little Gospel of John here. Um, if you don't have a Bible or you would like to have just the Gospel of John to sit down and read the rest of the story here, then there are a few of these still around over on the side there. Let's come before the Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, um, we are grateful that we can come into your presence. We're grateful, Lord, that you're a God who not only is great and is our creator, but is good and loves us. And Lord, we're grateful, Lord, that you did not remain detached from your creation, but you entered into humanity and the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us so that we might behold his glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And as we uh, look at this um, passage in this gospel, I pray, Father, that it would do more than just um, give us additional knowledge or remind us of things that we know, but, Lord, that we would encounter Jesus, that it would transform our hearts, just as Diane has been speaking. Lord, uh, we can try and resolve and do things, and yet we're dependent upon you to not only to convict us, uh, to confront us, Lord, to speak to us, and to transform us. And that's our prayer, that we might become more, a little more like Jesus this morning. As we look at the life of John, and as we look at the Lamb of God, we ask in his name. Amen. Well, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we were um, introduced to the Word, the Logos, uh, in the Gospel of John, the Gospel of John begins quite differently to the other three Gospels uh, in the account of Jesus Christ. He starts a lot earlier. <laughs> in fact, he starts before anything else existed, just God himself. And, and we saw this, the Word became flesh. But before that, before the Word, Jesus, entered into humanity, he... Um, in eternity created 
the heavens and the earth. He's the creator. I've been reading a little bit about this um, James Webb telescope. I don't know, has anybody heard about the James Webb telescope? They've sent out this telescope, invested a lot of money to look out deeper into the heavens. And guess what? The further they look, the more there is. <laughs> they can't get to the end of it. We lose a sense of, I guess, the magnificence and the greatness of God. Uh, sometimes in our better moments we see something of beauty or maybe if you're a student or a scientist you look into the, the workings of the human body or you see something about the magnificence and the grandeur of, of, of the, the, the scenery and the mountains and the hills. And for those that have been in the snow, not much snow here in Adelaide. And, and, and sometimes you get the sense of awe and wonder. But it's only a touch of what God is like. It's only a touch of what the word... We, it's, we use the word incomprehensible. <laughs> It is incomprehensible. It's beyond our comprehension. And yet, it should and does sometimes fill us with this sense of awe and wonder at the God who made this. That was the God, that is the God of John chapter 1 and 2 and 3. Where we're told that in the beginning the Word was with God, the Word was God, He was in the beginning with God... All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that wasn't made. That's him. And then we come down closer to where we are. How can it be that this creator, um, who looks far further than the James Webb telescope, we don't know how much he's made out there. It just keeps going and going and going. It's beyond us. How can it be that this God entered into humanity? See, that's the Christmas story. The Christmas miracle is not about just the virgin birth. A babe was born to a virgin. The Christmas miracle is that God, the Word, became flesh. Charles Wesley... I feel reflected it very well. You know I'm a fan of Charles Wesley. God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. God contracted to a span. And that's where we came in verse 14. The Word became flesh. We began to see it. And you see, the whole Gospel of John then starts to portray what we see of this word who became flesh. See, this first part of the Gospel of John is a prologue. It's beyond us. <laughs> it's in the heavens. But God communicates with you and he communicates with me and he did that by entering this world. And so the rest of... In fact, when you read the purpose of this book, and it's interesting that this, this is one of the books, I think it's the only one, I, I don't know, I can maybe correct it, uh, where it actually explicitly states the purpose of the book. And in John chapter 20, it tells us that the reason 
the signs were put, and there were many others, the reason this book portrays what it portrays was that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing we might have life in his name. So we start to read a whole series of encounters that Jesus has. And he performs a number of signs in that process. And why is this book portraying this? It started with the word, the creator, and it's come to earth. And why is it portraying this? It's portraying it so that we might see Jesus. That we might see who he is. That we might see a little more of what he's like. Because when you start to see him and his beauty and the wonder, and you look at your paltry life, you start to see, you, you get attracted to this person. You see the wonder of it all. And my prayer is that for those perhaps that are a little bit distant, and we all can be distant at times, that when we start to see that, we come to believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing we have life in his name. Don't you want life? All you read about in the world is death. Great statistic I read just the other day. 500 people on average are dying in Australia every day. That's death. 150,000 people in the world die in a day. That's death. We are in a hopeless estate. Jesus came to give life and light. Then we come to, if you like, the first encounter. And there are many through the Gospel of John. The first encounter of Jesus with John, or John with Jesus. That's where we are in our passage here. John chapter 1, verse 19. This is the testimony, or this is a record of John. Hey, there are children here too, aren't there? Big children. Are there any children here? Yes, some. What do you think about when you think of John the Baptist? Who knows anything about John the Baptist? Anybody? He baptised, yes. What about you, Sam? What do you? He did baptise Jesus. Right. I don't know what you think about when you think about John the Baptist. You know. Oh, what do you got, Ezra? Yeah, <laughs> I like that. He ate locust. Sometimes he added a bit of wild honey. You know, just for taste. <laughs> you know something about his wardrobe. He had a wardrobe where he used camel's hair. I can't imagine that would be too comfortable. Um, interesting diet. But you know, John was a man, very unusual man, strange man. But he started to proclaim something and multitudes of people came. But we don't get that in this gospel here. But we see from the other parallel accounts in the other Gospels that were 
there were many people that were attracted to this message. God brought them. I believe the Spirit brought him. He was becoming quite an influential, popular, great man. Remember, for 400 years, there had been silence. Now, when we end in the book of Malachi, in the Old Testament, there was no word from the Lord. (laughs) There had been promises. There had been prophetic words. There had been statements from God through the prophets of a coming Messiah, of a King, of the Christ. But silence. And now this man breaks the silence after 400 years. This man begins to proclaim something that hadn't been heard before. And God was in it because God had sent him. There'd been plenty of people that had got up to be someone (laughs) and had their messages and had their ideologies and had their goals and purposes and they had their um, hidden agendas. But now there came someone who was sent from God. John, John the Baptist. This is a man, by the way, of whom Jesus said, you recall, that amongst those born of women there was none greater in a camel's outfit. (laughs) He was a great man. He was a great man. And we start to read about this encounter. You see, as his influence grew, the leadership were a little bit concerned. It says the priests, the Levites from Jerusalem, it tells us in verse 24, they had been sent from the Pharisees. Just like King Herod became concerned when he heard about another king. These people, these leaders, were becoming a little bit concerned uh, about John, probably jealous. If they're anything like me, they would become envious that someone may have been a bit greater than they were. And so they send these priests and Levites, it says, and they begin to ask him, who are you? Who are you? And there are three, three characters that are mentioned here that John categorically denies. He confessed, he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Because that would have been one of the first things in the mind. Of course, because the Jewish nation was expecting a Messiah. Maybe not for all the right reasons, but they were a downtrodden people. Ever since their captivity in Babylon, their scattering, although a remnant had come back after 70 years to Jerusalem, they were never to be a nation like they had been. Certainly not under David and then Solomon. And then when Rome came and 
um, ruled the then known world. They were a downtrodden people. So they were wanting, they were looking to a Messiah. And so this was a natural question to ask. Are you the Christ? His answer, no, I'm not. What about Elijah then? You see, um, there were prophecies about the return of an Elijah-like figure, let me put it that way, before the Messiah. Are you, are you this Elijah? John says, no, I'm not. What about the prophet? Moses had spoken about a prophet who was to come, one to whom the children of Israel were to be subject, they were to listen. Are you this prophet? So you see, they have in their minds all these people, potentially, Isn't it interesting, I find it quite fascinating in this account that the first thing it tells you about John, the first words that you hear from him is about what I am not. I'm not Christ, I'm not the light. It says at the beginning, uh, uh, earlier on, in verse 6, there was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that he might believe. He was not that light. He came to bear witness. He wasn't. I love saying to people what I am. <laughs> or maybe how good I am. Or how knowledgeable. Or how great. I believe the remarkable thing, one of the, the remarkable things about John the Baptist was not, it, when I'm talking about him in his character, not so much his calling or his purpose, was not his, his, his courage even or his influence or his power which was evident. What should we think about when we think about John the Baptist? We know he was a forerunner, and we'll see a little bit about that in a moment. But what should we think about? We think about the I am nots. John the Baptist was a humble man. This was a great mark of him. Remember, he had already brought a great gathering. The temptation would have been, as it would be with us, <laughs> to build the ministry, to become someone great. That would have been the temptation. And hey, God had empowered him. God had chosen him. But what was the mark of John the Baptist? Look what he said when he was talking about the coming Christ. <laughs> Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. This is how John saw himself. When his disciples said later on in chapter 3, look, everybody's flocking to Jesus. <laughs> He's baptising people. What's going to happen to your ministry? 
John the Baptist's response was this. He said a number of things, but he said, He must increase, but I must decrease. This is our forgotten virtue. I find it strange, I've, I've thought about John the Baptist many, many, many times. And usually the first thing that comes to my mind is, and it's not a bad thing, he did baptise Christ, he was a forerunner, that is true, that is true. I'm not minimising that. But, when we think about what was John like? He was a man primarily of humility. This should not surprise us. God doesn't choose the great. <laughs> he chooses the weak. It's true. Perhaps one of the great terst leaders, arguably, certainly in the Jewish mind, over the children of Israel was Moses. He's the one that led them out of the promised land. He was a leader amongst leaders. He had all the training of Egypt. He had the power and the influence. Yes, he had to be thrown in the backside of a desert for 40 years. <laughs> but why? Because God uses the weak. Of Moses, it was said, when the contention came, when people started, to, some of the, those close in started to question um, his position and his right to be leader. The scripture makes this comment, comment you know, this little commentary. Now, the man Moses was very meek, more than all the people who were on the face of the earth. Wow, what a testimony. It wasn't just very meek, but he was so well educated. He was so competent. He was so influential. He led a nation of millions out of bondage and slavery. He was meek more than any of the others. More than any of the others. John was like that. Little wonder that Jesus said of him that there were none greater born who were born of among of women than John. There's none greater. We measure things differently, don't we? We really do. Pride, if you like, was Satan's sin. He wanted to ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. Pride was our sin in the garden. What was the temptation 
at heart, what was the temptation? You will be like God. And it's with us today, always, ever. This is our natural inclination. What were they doing with Babel, the tower? The seed of Babylon. They were building a tower to reach into the heavens. For those that are a little bit older, they know the phrase, I'm the greatest, who said it? That's our heart. That's our inclination. It's stupid really, isn't it? The scripture reminds us that that we actually have nothing that we haven't received. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how pretty you are or how strong you are or how influential you are or how rich you are, you've received it. 1 Corinthians puts it this way, For who sees anything different in you? What do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? It's pretty logical, isn't it? (laughs) Why do I boast as if I didn't receive it? And so, hear this, God resists the proud. Had John stood up and started to take glory for himself, rather than, I am not, I am not, I am not, I am not worthy to even undo the shoe straps of Jesus. I am not. If he hadn't done that, if his heart lifted up, if he started to think himself as someone who, who mattered, <laughs> God resists the proud. He does. So, if you want to get on the opposite side of the ring with God, <laughs> just focus on self and pride, exaltation. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Paul put it this way in Romans chapter 12, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. Friends, we we all know this, don't we? We know it, but we forget it. We forget it. And so it reminds us, and so we're reminded here of John as the I am not, as the one who needed to decrease as Jesus increased. It's a good New Year's resolution. In Jeremiah chapter 45, when just before the, the, the final captivity to Babylon, Barak, who was a scribe for Jeremiah, who wrote as Jeremiah dictated. And it was troubled times. 
And in the midst of that, God was going to deliver this man because of his faithfulness. But this is the word of God to him. He said to Barak, Do you seek great things for yourself? This is God speaking. It could well be him speaking to us for 2024. Do you seek great things for yourself? You want to know the answer? God says, seek them not. Now, I don't think it's bad to have plans. I don't think it's bad to have aspirations or commitments to seek to do better, to seek to do right, to seek to do something for the glory of God, for the good of others. It's not bad. As a church, we should be thinking about those things. But, do you seek great things for yourself? God's answer is really simple. For now, for 2024, for always, seek them not. Peter, seek them not. Seek them not. So who is the is John when he says what I'm not I'm not these things well it says in verse 22 they said to him who are you we need to give an answer to those stop beating around the bush and John goes back to Isaiah 40 this is the link you know I said 400 silent years this is the link back to the prophetic word I am one crying the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. We could say a lot about this. We don't have time to explore it completely. In the other uh, Gospels, it elaborates a little bit more. It tells us a little bit more of, of what Isaiah said. If we read in Isaiah, it says, A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, every mountain and hill be made low, and the uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places plain, and the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. All flesh hasn't yet seen it. You know, the prophecy goes on, but this part of the voice crying in the wilderness, this was who John was. He wasn't the great prophet. He wasn't the Messiah. He was called by God as a forerunner, as one who was to declare, as to provide a testimony that Jesus, this Jesus who he baptised, is the Christ. And in the first chapter of John, already, although the people involved, I'm sure, didn't comprehend, even as we often don't comprehend, he had already been referred to as the King of Israel, as the Son of God, as the Messiah, as the Christ. And so John was a nothing. 
And God used him in this way to fulfill the purpose for which he called it. So in 2024, seek great things for yourself. Don't seek them. But like John, we can seek to simply fulfill that for which God has made us and called us. As soon as we shift from the great things for others and we shift to the great things for ourselves, God's word's very plain. Seek them not. Unless you want to be found resisting God or God resisting you. All right, we've got to push on. The, the, the leaders that, that came and questioned him, they were then questioning, you know, how come you were baptising? You know, what's the basis? What's the authority? And John didn't have any credentials. <laughs> His only credential was that God had called him. Welcome. His only credential was that God had called him. And he just simply and faithfully fulfilled what God had done to point as a voice to this one. To who? The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him. He said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Wow. I guess books and sermons and expositions on that phrase are endless. But let me just let me just make one observation here. This is just a, a remarkable, remarkable thing. This is the Messiah. This is the Christ, Jesus. But just think about this. This is the word in John chapter 1. This is the creator. This is staggering. John humbled himself at the feet of Jesus. Moses, more meek than any man on the face of the earth. But what can we say of a God who became a baby and then became the Lamb of God? See, the Lamb is not mighty. A Lamb is not someone you would normally worship. (laughs) Those people that on farms that deal with sheep, they probably have a different impression of lambs and sheep. Jesus, God, humbled himself. That's the story of Christmas. God became man, but in becoming man, he humbled himself. He never asks us to do that which he was not prepared to do himself. And John knew, you know, even as he he said he wasn't worthy to stoop and undo those straps, he already perhaps sensed that the word 
becoming flesh had already humbled himself more than that. The whole gospel, well, is about Jesus. But it's about the wonder of God entering human history as a man, lowering himself, stooping down. If he humbled himself, we ought to. In John 13, he girded himself with a towel and stooped down and washed the feet of his disciples. Because, like Diane said, nobody could get up from the couch. <laughs> Pretty hard. The Word, the Creator. He humbled himself. He washed the feet. And he said, I, if I, your Lord, you call me Lord, for so I am, wash your feet, you ought also to wash one another's feet. If for no other reason, if for no other reason, because I've done it, if for no other reason than that God, oh, what a reason, should come down and take on the form of humanity, if for no other reason we ought to stoop, we ought to. It's not our inclination though, is it? See, John the Baptist did this. He humbled himself. But lots of the disciples hadn't. <laughs> They'd been with Jesus for three years. Do you remember what they were arguing about just on the eve of the cross? Now, you could have been discussing lots of things, lots of theological issues. <laughs> Jesus is there. One of the things they were arguing about was who should be the greatest. Who should be the greatest? We're no different. We're no different. I want to finish... In, I know it's Luke's, one of Luke's favourite passages, and he's not well today, um, but it's one of mine too, Philippians chapter 2. It might do to turn to that if you have your Bibles. There's a lot more to the Lamb of God, of course, by the way, and I... Um, Because in pointing to the Lamb of God, it was not just it, not just his humility, which it was, but it was the salvation that we have in Christ. Because of course the Lamb of God goes back to all the sacrifices that were made for sin. So in 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 declaring the Messiah as the Lamb of God, he was declaring hope for us. The possibility of forgiveness of sin. 
the possibility of deliverance, the possibility that God could make proud, independent, evil human beings into Christ-like people. What a possibility. Humble people, loving people. He did that by becoming the Lamb of God, slain, killed, crucified for us. Oh, what greater level of humility and stooping. In Philippians 2, it describes like this. I'm going to read from verse 3. It says, Do nothing, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, in lowliness of mind, it says in the King James, look, count others as more significant than yourselves. This is the definition of humility. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, which was also in Christ Jesus. What is the mind that was in Christ? Who, though he was in the form of God, he did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. And being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself. God humbled himself. Even more so than John, and John is a great example. Even more so than Moses, and Moses was a great example. Even more so, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. Our salvation came because God humbled himself. And we want to be proud. It's such an indictment upon us. He became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. And therefore God has highly exalted him. No wonder he's bestowed upon him a name that is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. And they will one way or another, in heaven, on earth, under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God and the Father. Those of us who start to know him don't have to be compelled to bow our knees to Jesus. And we see the wonder of his grace and his humility and his stooping, and his love. When we see that, we don't have to be compelled to bow our knees. But we're going to see more. Now, one day we're going to see him as he is. And we have a little glimpse of that in heaven, in Revelation chapter 5. We have a glimpse of that and this should be the overflow of our hearts. 
This should characterise our lives. When we start to see the one of whom John foresaw, when we start to see something of the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, when we begin to see Jesus and his invitations there, so read this gospel <laughs> sometime in this year. His invitation to the disciples was, come and see, come and see. We come to Revelation chapter 5, verses 11. I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about. This is the picture in heaven. Around about the throne and the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. It's not an exact number. Hundreds of millions. Uncountable. Saying with a loud voice. This is amazing. Not worthy is the creator. You could be saying that. Worthy is the one who scattered the stars the way they are. No, it says, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honour and glory and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven, are you going to be there? You can. Every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying, blessing and honour and glory and power be unto him that sits upon the throne and unto the Lamb, the Lamb, the Lamb who took away the sin of the world, unto the Lamb forever and ever. And the four beasts said, Amen. And the four and twenty elders fell down and worshipped him that lives forever and ever. May 2024 be a year where we learn to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. A year where we learn to worship him also. Where we see Jesus more as who he is and it brings us to ourselves and to our knees, and to him. Let's pray. You're good to us, O Lord. Indeed, the Lord is good to all, and your tender mercies are over all your works. And Lord, we cannot but glimpse a little of what you're like. And yet the little that we see, um, it humbles us, Lord, and... We just confess our pride and our selfishness and self-centeredness and pray that you would be working in us that which is pleasing in your sight and turning us more to be like Jesus. Be like Jesus, this my song, in the home and in the throng. Be like Jesus all day long. I would be like Jesus.